I'm glad to be here with you. I love the start of a new year. Uh, it seems like, all right, first of the year. Every, every, I can go back and track all the messages that I brought as the first Sunday in January, and there's always an emphasis on taking time to pause and ask God to evaluate us and to make sure that we have a clear direction for moving forward, for moving ahead. Some of you are New Year's resolution people, and some of you are not New Year's resolution people. I, honestly, if, if that works for you, then you should do that. If that does not work for you, you should not. But it should always be the quest of every believer to want to draw closer to God, to want to see more of God's glory, to want to be more used by God to bring glory to Him, to take time periodically in the New Year is a good time, to take time periodically to make sure that our lives are on track. We have a goal. We have a calling as believers that God be glorified in our life. And that is a simple statement. And it is foundational and it is true. We see it again and again throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New, that we desire, God has called us to be vessels by which He is glorified. Uh, that's what Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians, that... that even in the small things of life, even in our eating and drinking, in the decisions that we make, we are to be those who point people to Christ, to, to, who point people to God and His goodness and His kindness and His glory. And so what we want to know is how can we increasingly glorify God in the coming year? And that means one aspect of this is making sure that our lives and our congregation are on target, that we're going where God would have us to go. I can't imagine few things more frustrating than investing time and energy and effort in the wrong things. With the last year, 2021, and all that has taken place, a lot of people have taken time because of COVID and resources and other reasons, and I don't even know what they all are, but I do know that there have been more home renovations and more home upgrades in the last year than anyone anticipated. Uh, people are building homes. People are building buildings. A lot of new construction going on. But Home Depot, Lowe's, those places have just been exploded. Matter of fact, you guys know if you've done anything on your own house that sometimes it's hard getting the supplies that you need. And just a couple of weeks ago, I saw a story, an account where uh, a lady had decided that she was going to remodel a bathroom in her house. And she wanted to do it as economically as possible. She had an adult daughter who was home from college over the Christmas break, and her daughter had some friends. And so they volunteered to do the demo on the bathroom. And she thought, oh, that's great. Boy, that'll save me some time. They can come and get things cleared out, and then we can get it done. And so the mother had left. The daughter thought, well, we'll go ahead and get this done. We'll get started on this right away. It'll be a surprise for mom. This will be something we can check off of the list. So the mother is gone. The daughter and her friends start demoing. The mother comes home and she hears a noise from the bathroom. She walks in the door and the daughter has a sledgehammer joyously knocking the tile off the walls. And the mother screams, stop! Why stop? This is what you wanted to do. We're demoing the bathroom for your construction. The upstairs bathroom. Not this bathroom. This is the wrong bathroom. Uh, can you imagine what that would have been like? <laughs> oh, well, now we're going to be remodeling both. But can you imagine to have energy and effort and 
focused on, and then you get, and you find out it's the wrong target. You're in the wrong place. I want to make sure, as far as my life is concerned, I want to make sure, as far as the sphere of influence that we have, that each of us make sure that our lives are on target. Now, I was really planning on picking back up with Paul's second missionary journey. That's where we left off in the book of Acts. Paul had completed his first missionary journey. He had come back to Antioch. The next thing that happens in Acts is a church fight, honestly. It's a theological issue that's raised between the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem and the primarily Greek Christians that are in Antioch. And it's a question of the doctrine of salvation. It's the issue of soteriology. It's massive. It's major. I don't, it's not a, a slight disagreement. There's a source of major concern, and God is clarifying truth as it applies to the life of his body and we are going to study that but we're not going to study that during the month of january we're going to look at the first chapter of colossians as a matter of fact to be honest we're going to look at the first two verses of the first chapter of colossians over the next four weeks now we're going to stay in the book of colossians and go all the way through chapter one before we go back to the book of acts but i want us to to i want i want to share with you how i got to this point uh, some of you are aware that we are in the process, hopefully, of beginning construction on a new building over in West Greenville. Uh, God has graciously provided and, and through resources that have been donated to the church through the years, through the sale of a previous property, the ability for us to buy some property on Arlington Avenue. The congregation has joined our hearts together to put our hands to the task to be glorified with God, but uh, to to glorify God through through the construction of a building as a tool to enable us to accomplish his purpose there on the West End. And so these are exciting days. But I have to tell you that this is not my wheelhouse. This is not my thing. I have found myself kind of um, spending time working on building plans and relocating offices and talking to architects and engineers and construction company employees and project managers and city employees and code enforcers and inspectors and the planning department of the city. And now it's not too much. I don't want you to think it's too much, but it is well outside of what, I'm, what I feel confident doing. So I thank God for the people in this congregation that have gifts and abilities that God's brought to lead through that and people that he has connected us with. But when I was evaluating several months ago, coming up to November, the amount of time that I was spending, I have very clear in my mind, you guys know this, that a building is just a building. It is a tool for the church to accomplish its purpose. It is a place to meet. My calling and yours is not to build a building except and to the extent that it furthers, that it accomplishes the mission that God has for us as a church and as families, as individuals coming together as the body of Christ. I don't want you to misunderstand the building is important, but it's only as important as it is important. Do you you understand what I'm saying? It's not the most important thing. It is important in its place. And we have continually emphasized that what is important is building the church, and the church It's you and me. It's the people that God has brought together and joined together in this family. And I'm praying, I am fervently praying that God will build His kingdom through us. That God will use us, you and me, to make a difference in this world for His glory. I know that He is at work in us. I know that He is at work in Greenville. I know that He is still drawing people to Himself that the Holy Spirit continues to convict of sin and righteousness and judgment. I know God's still in the business of saving people. 
I know that God's still in the business of building and strengthening marriage and equipping parents to raise children. I know that He is teaching us, His children, truth and growing our faith and making us complete and perfect. Teleos, just right for what He's called us to do. I know that God is sufficient for every need, every circumstance, and every challenge that we face. And I know that God wants to be glorified in us. And I know that God wants us to bring Him glory in our families. And God wants us to bring Him glory in our community and in our neighborhoods and the sphere of influence that He's, he's given to us. And so as we, as we approach the new year, I want to make sure that we're in the right room. <laughs> I want to make sure that we're headed toward the right target. And so we have to be in the Word of God. And we have to be continually talking to God. E.M. Bounds wrote and said, Prayer is the greatest of all forces because it honors God, because it brings Him into active aid. Prayer is the means by which God... We stay in a line with God, with His purposes, with His working in our life. Prayer is the means by which we continually demonstrate our dependence upon Him and experience His working in us. And so... When we finished the flickering lamp study in the adult CLA class, we took three weeks in December to look at Colossians chapter 1, to look at how Paul prayed for the church at Colossae. And we're going to go back through that as a congregation to some extent and have unified and calls to prayer where we look at the different aspects of prayer and the importance of that. But as I was studying in, that, in Colossians chapter 1, I, I, uh, I, I, the tendency is to skip past the greetings of the letters, you know, Paul writes, and he writes some important things. But as I was studying, I couldn't get away from the truths that I felt like the Holy Spirit was teaching me just in the salutation, just in the introduction to this letter. And so we're going to take a little bit of time to make sure that we're on track, that we are um, facing in the direction God would have us face, that we're allowing God to target our lives. And so our text is the greeting, the salutation, the first two verses of Colossians chapter 1. Paul is writing a letter to the believers, to a group of believers much like us, a church in the town of Colossae. And he begins using this standard format for letter writing. He introduces himself first, and then he goes on to give a greeting, and then he goes on with specific exhortation. And he begins by saying, Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and the faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God, our Father. Now, when I just went that far, matter of fact, just that first phrase, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, I'm just convinced that Paul knew exactly and totally what the calling on his life was. He knew he had the right target. He knew that he was aimed in the right direction, that he had the calling that God had placed upon his life, the task that God had given to him. And that was how he was glorifying God, by being completely yielded to the call that God had placed upon his life. How do you and I increasingly glorify God in our lives? How is God most glorified in us? And I don't know that we normally just sit around and think about that. That we normally just sit around and ask ourselves the question, but there's no better time than now for us as a church to do that. How is God 
glorified, how do we increasingly glorify God in our life? Well, if you look at John chapter 17, Jesus is soon to go to the cross. And we have what some call His high priestly prayer, or the Lord's prayer, the Lord actually praying. And in John 17, we have Jesus praying, and His prayers recorded as He's talking to God. And what He says in John 17, at the beginning of the chapter, after He had spoken these words to His disciples, Jesus lifted up His eyes to heaven, and He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son, that the Son may glorify You. His purpose was to glorify the Father. He is praying that God be glorified in Him, and He's asking for God to glorify Him on this earth. Verse 2, since you have given Him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given to Him, and this is the eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus is God. From eternity, He always has been. He came incarnate. And in His physical life, He glorified God. He said, I've done the work. I've done what you've accomplished, what you have called me to do. I have been faithful to the task. In this verse, verse 4 How does he glorify God? I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you called me to do. Now, is this only for Christ, the incarnate God, or is this for all of us? Do all of us glorify God through accomplishing the work that he calls us to do? I believe that's true. As long as we do it in his power, as long as we do it yielded to him, as long as we do it in communion, in close communion, in full dependence upon him, we do God's work in God's power. But that requires that we know what that is. That requires that we know what God's called us to do. It requires that we have a target, that we have a direction. It's what Paul said when he was coming to the end of his ministry. He was writing his last letter recorded before his death to Timothy. (coughs) Excuse me. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. He's saying, I have done the task that God has called me to do. And he's good with that. And he's got peace and confidence in that. Because he knew the direction that God was pointing his life to. Now, was Paul always that way? Was Paul always that way? I want you to engage with me a little bit this morning. We're going to be a little bit more interactive, and this is going to be frustrating to the people behind the cameras. But was Paul always on track? Was he always aimed where God designed for him to go? Was he? You know he wasn't. We just read the book of Acts and studied, took took weeks studying the life of Paul. Where do we first meet Paul? Come on, class. Where do we first meet Paul? At the stoning of Stephen. At the stoning of Stephen. He is there with the Sanhedrin, the ruling body of the Pharisees, when Stephen comes in and preaches the gospel to them. He, along with them, is angered at what he has to say. Why? Because what Stephen is saying flies in the face of the direction of Paul's life. 
Paul had already determined to be a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He had already determined and was zealous in his pursuit of the direction that he had already established for his own life. Now, whether that was through parental influence and the tradition of his people, whether that was because of the culture of his people and he was ascribing to or yielding to the culture of his people, whatever reason, Paul had set a direction for his life and he, by any earthly standard, was successful. In Philippians chapter 3, he says he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, uh, circumcised on the eighth day, uh, born of the tribe of Benjamin. In Galatians chapter 1, where he is giving his testimony, he says, some of you have heard of my experience, of my life, before I came to Christ. How I was even surpassing my peers in zeal, in persecuting the church of God. He was headed in the wrong direction, but he was going fast. He was heading in the wrong direction, but he was making good time. He was climbing the ladder of success, only to realize that when God broke through, that the ladder was on the wrong wall. He was headed in the wrong direction. In Acts chapter 26, he's given his defense before Agrippa, and he gives his testimony. And he says, Agrippa, I was faithful, and I was zealous for the religion of my fathers until God broke through. And he changed the direction of my life. He established my priority. He called me to himself, first of all, in salvation. And by the way, that's the first call that we have to answer. That's the first, for us to be successful, for us to be able to glorify God, for us to be complete in accomplishing the task that God has for us, we have to, first of all, know that we have a creator God who has a purpose for our life. It's not that we just flail through life or that we just wander through life or that we just do the best we can and hope that life is good. We have a God who establishes our path, Psalm 16.9, Proverbs 16.9. We have a God who leads us in the direction that is fulfilling for us and that gives glory to Him. And so if you're taking notes, and I wish that you would, on your outline, the first statement is we have to be willing to allow God to lead our lives. We have to follow and determined to go where God leads. There are really only two gods, basically, that tend to dominate our lives. There's the God of self, and then there's God, who is real God, creator God, Yahweh, Jehovah, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God that we've been singing about. And we tend to either, we don't tend to, we absolutely follow one or the other. We direct our own lives, or we allow God to direct our lives. When we come to Him in salvation, the call is to allow Him to be God, to yield to Him as God, to let Him be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And in salvation, it's an all or nothing thing. Yes, we surrender our lives. We deny ourselves. We take up our cross. There's no halfway servants of God. You don't enter the family of God. You don't enter the kingdom of God compromising from the beginning. You surrender, total and complete surrender. And God comes through the power of His Holy Spirit and He makes you brand new. It's what Paul describes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 as we no longer live to please ourselves. We displace ourselves as the God of our life. We allow God to be the God in our life. And that means that we now live to please Him. We go where He leads And so we allow Him to target our life, to set the direction of our life. We allow Him to determine the purpose of our life. And our responsibility is to ask Him what that is. 
our responsibility is to yield to him. The Apostle Paul had a purpose. He met God. He was called to Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And he was also given very clearly a purpose for his life. It was communicated to him from the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be my witness to the Gentiles. It was affirmed by others, Ananias particularly, and then later as he began this ministry by other people. But Paul never wavered on the clarity that he was doing what God called him to do. Now, along the way, there were course changes. Along the way, there were things that God had to direct and redirect, instruct. But Paul, excuse me, Paul followed that which God had led him, had led him to do. Paul was clear in this greeting He introduces himself as Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. What is an apostle? Apostolos. What is an apostle? It simply means one who is sent. Now, there are different ways that this word is used. You can be simply one who is sent with a letter, or one who is sent with a message, or one who is sent particularly to deliver or convey a message. And it's kind of an everyday usage. I need you to go here and do that. You're simply sent on a task. Then there's a more technical, more formal use in the New Testament, capital A, Apostle, which is a position that the Lord Jesus Christ Himself established and appointed a limited number of men to early in the days of the church for the express purpose of founding the church. It's what's mentioned in Ephesians chapter 2. We're built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. It's one of the gifts that God gave to the early church as it was started. But then there's another sense that's not simply a position, another sense that's not simply a a regular task. It is the recognition, much like Barnabas, much like Epaphras, much like others that we see in the New Testament, that we recognize as believers that God's got a purpose for our life and He is sending us, He is engaging us to accomplish the purpose that He has for us. And so we have to say yes to what God would have us to do. And so here's the question for you. Are you on the right path? Do you have the right vocation? By the way, vocation is a great word. Vocation means work. It's a Latin word that was brought into English. Voca, voca means to call. To call. And so what is your calling In American culture, you basically are what you do. That's one of the first things that we ask people. We give out business cards. What do you do? What do you do? What do you do? And our identity is so much in what we do. But the New Testament approach to this, the New Testament approach to life is, it's not that you are what you do. It's that you do what you are. You are now a child of God. You are now sent by God. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And you have a task. It is to glorify God in all that you do, but you glorify Him by being obedient, by discovering the things that He would have you to do, and then to walk in obedience to those. And God changes the directions of our life a lot. He changes the directions that we head. He changes our expectation. Again, back to resolutions. I don't know if you guys have read John Piper's book, Don't Waste Your Life. Have any of you read that book? If not, I highly recommend it. It is an excellent resource to establish firmly in our minds and our hearts that God's called us to bring glory to Him and to find pleasure in Him 
and in Him alone. That we're called to more than just a vocation on this earth. That we're called more than to just a, a, a limited earthly sphere of influence. That we are called to expend our lives to the glory of God. And there's great reward and there's great benefit. There's a massive, massive responsibility for us to understand what God has done. And we see that God many times has to redirect our lives. And again, the new year is a good time to evaluate and make those course corrections. Now, King David in Psalm 92 uses a phrase that I think I'm just really beginning to understand. And it is, God has anointed me with fresh oil. When I was 15 years old, I became convinced in my heart that God had spoken to me, that He had convicted me, that He had called me, and that He told me He wanted me to be a preacher. And I told him, absolutely, I will be a missionary to Mexico. What he was doing was he was equipping me, calling me, setting me apart for a task. What I was doing was telling him the extent of that task I was willing to engage in. And through the years, God has directed my life and directed my path. And he's brought us to this place at this time. And I can say with confidence that... I am doing what God has called me to do. That I am facing in direction that God is leading me to go. Now, do I stumble and do I fall? Do I have better days and worse days? Absolutely. But I have the complete conviction that God has placed His hand on my life to accomplish the task that He's called me to do. Here in this congregation and here in this city, does that mean that God will not lead me in another direction another day, another time? God can do whatever He wants to do. He's God. If a wasted life is nothing more than an accumulation of wasted days, a life that glorifies God is nothing more than an accumulation of days by which we obey Him and glorify Him in our lives day by day by day. The whole point of this first point is that we need to recognize that we can either serve ourselves and direct our own lives so we can serve God and allow Him to direct our lives. And you can't mix those. It's one or the other. And I am inviting you with me for us to go to God and say, God, we submit to your leadership. You guide. You direct. We want our lives to glorify you. David uses the phrase, fresh oil. It's that fresh anointing. It's that fresh blessing. That renewal of the presence of the Holy Spirit. That renewal of our call. David was anointed as king of Israel three times. Three times. And he did not ascend to the throne over a unified nation until after the third time. And so we seek obedience to God today. To be able to say with clarity, like the Apollo did, I'm here in this place doing this task by the will of God. Now the second thing, once we determine that we're going to go wherever God leads, wherever that is, then the next thing is to make sure that we don't compromise, that we hold Nothing back. And this is the hard part. I like my house. Well, that's not true, but I like a lot of things about my house. All right. I, I like the upstate of South Carolina. As a matter of fact, I've got to tell you, there's a lot about my life that I really, really enjoy. Did y'all have a good Christmas? Some of you had a good Christmas. Some of you don't know whether you had a good Christmas. Did y'all have a good Christmas? I had a really good Christmas. 
one of the things that we enjoyed was we had all of the kids over to the house and all of the grandkids over to the house. And it was just a blast having everybody in one place at one time. The weather was good. For those of you who wanted a white Christmas, I'm sorry for you. But I am glad for me. 70 degrees on Christmas Day was just God's special blessing of grace for me. Y'all just have to deal with the consequences. But it was such a, it was such a good time, a good week. And there's so many little kind of tastes of glory, little things that are just enjoyable. And one of the scary things about saying, God, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll do what you want me to do when you want me to do it, anytime you want me to do it. One of the scary things is that there's stuff I like I might have to give up. There's stuff I like that I might have to neglect or turn my attention away from. I hold so tight to some things, it's just hard to let go and say, all right, God, whatever. Everything is on the table. And yet, just like at salvation, where Jesus says, if any of you would be my disciple, you must deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. You must release the plow. You must leave the field. You must go where I call you to go. Do what I call you to do. Be who I call you to be. There's some, there's some cost involved in that. And just like that happens at salvation, here's the challenge. When I got saved, man, I was a kid when I got saved, and it, was easy, it wasn't easy. It was hard. It was a struggle. But I came to the point where I said, I will withhold nothing from you. I acknowledge I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. I acknowledge that Jesus is the Savior. I asked you to, and I gave myself totally and completely to Christ. And then, again, when I was 15 years old, when I felt God calling me into vocational Christian service was the phrase that we used at that time. Then when I answered God's call to preach, it was a, a fresh oil experience. It was another all or nothing. I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. And throughout my life, there have been those periods where through a period of evaluation, I've become aware that maybe I'm not facing in the direction that God would have me to be faced. Maybe I should take another task. Maybe there should be another calling, another ministry, another focus upon my life. The key is that I'm walking in the direction that God would have me go today and a succession of days so that like Paul, when I get to the end of my life, I can say I held nothing back. I released everything. I expended my life in obedience to the tasks, to the purpose that you have called me to do. Like Jesus in John 17, it's done. It's completed. The task that you gave me to do, the life that you've called me to live, the energy that you've called me to expend, the expense that you've called me to pay, I'm willing to pay for your glory, for your glory. And it's scary, and it would be scarier if we didn't have a loving God. But here's what I want you to know. We have a God who is good. What have we been singing about this morning? We have a God who is good. We have a God who, who knows what He's designed us for. We have a God who loves us and continually displays His love toward us. And so when we come to Him with that singleness of focus and say, alright, whatever that means today, I'm willing to be obedient to you today. Father, for 2022, what I want is to know you more fully day by day by day by day. Or week by week by week. And yes, I'm going to stumble. And yes, I'm going to fall. And yes, there are going to be times when I'm distracted. But today, with all that is within me, I want to be glorified. I want you to be glorified in me. 
I want to be as obedient. I want to be as yielded. I want to hold nothing back from you. Then we can trust God. And we can enjoy the benefits of a life that is focused on Him. And that's the third point in the outline. We can, once we say yes to God, whatever, once we write that blank check to God, we can enjoy the benefits of a focused life. Uh, do you guys know the word dilettante? Do you know what a dilettante is? Is that, is that a familiar phrase? It wasn't to me for a long time until I had a friend who called me one, and I thought, I better look that up. <laughs> and a dilettante, at least in the, in the, in the means that uh, he expressed it, is a, a dabbler. It's someone who will dip his toe in the water and do this for a little while until it becomes hard or uncomfortable, and then we'll find something else, and we'll go do that for a little while. Do, do you guys store stuff in your garage, or is that just me? You can go through my garage, and I have golf clubs. I am not a golfer. I have a tennis racket. Ask me how long it's been since I played tennis. And you can see, oh, here's where Marty was into electronics. Oh, and here's where Marty was into carpentry. Oh, and here's where Marty was in, and his comment to me, my friend, was, he said, you are a jack of all trades, but you haven't mastered a one. You need to pick one. And frankly, I don't want to pick one. I like learning a lot of different stuff. I like trying my hand at a lot of different things. And I think it's okay. Don't misunderstand me. I think it's fine for us to be redirected from this to that to this to that as long as the foundation and the governing, uh, the underlying principle and truth that, that, that guides our life is that we are being obedient to what He's called to do, that we found our purpose in life, that we found our calling, and that in every aspect of what we do, our, our goal is that God be glorified. Our goal is that even in the hobbies and even in the games and even in the interactions that we have in the different settings, that God be glorified in our life. When you have a focused life, when you are focusing on a task, when you are focusing on a mission or a calling, there are great benefits. You can remain focused in peace. You have peace in knowing that you're doing what you call... The phrase, the phrase sorry, my words are stumbling over themselves. The phrase that is in this introduction to this letter that resonates, that, that gives me great joy is when Paul says, I'm Paul... I'm apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. No doubt. Simple statement. Simple declaration. I'm right where I'm supposed to be. I'm right doing what I'm supposed to be doing because I've answered God's call on my life. One of the benefits is peace. Knowing I'm what God would have me to I'm doing what God would have us to do. Another benefit is frankly it gives you a criteria for saying no. We live in a day of choices. We live in a day of overwhelming choices. We live in a day of opportunity. Almost overwhelming opportunities. But once you know the task that God is leading you to put your hand to, once you know the expression that God has upon your life, then it's easy to say, no, I can't do this, and no, I can't do that, and no, that is not even a temptation to me anymore because I've said yes to the main thing. Does that make sense? Knowing the yes enables the no. Also, you can endure 
difficulty. The Apostle Paul faced great difficulty in his single-minded obedience to God. Jesus said, you're going to be my missionary to the Gentiles. And Paul said, okay, I will. And then the Holy Spirit directed the church at Antioch to send Paul and Barnabas out. And off they go. And here goes Paul doing what God's called him to do. And you would imagine that there would be every expectation of success and every expectation of God's blessing. And the first thing he has to do is confront a man who is calling him out. He goes to another town and they misunderstand the message. They start to worship him. He straightens them out. They drag him out of the city and they stone him. As a matter of fact, the first missionary journey, there is challenge after challenge, difficulty after difficulty, and yet Paul is able to remain faithful and to accomplish that mission and then go back to those very places that persecuted him because of his confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ and his call upon his life and God's ability to, enjoy, to, to, to uh, fulfill him, to, to accomplish his purpose through Paul. And that's where I want us to be. Confident that God is leading our life. Confident that we're walking in obedience to the revealed truth, holding nothing back, enjoying the benefits of endurance, enjoying the benefits of God's faithfulness to us and our faithfulness to Him. And you can rest in that. It's just good news. You can rest in that because of the goodness of God. So we start 2022. Somebody said... I was really excited about that until I, until I thought about the fact that 2022 is pronounced 2022 also. And 2020 wasn't a great year. 2021 may not have been a much better year. What is God going to accomplish in 2022? And can I tell you, I want you to take, take a step back and look at the year. And just say, God, examine my heart. God, am I facing in the direction that you would have me face? Am I doing what you would have me to do? Am I really seeking that you be glorified in me? And this may be your career, your vocation, your job. This may be your life after retirement. What is the direction that you have for me for the next phase of my life? This may be your life after graduation. I've completed this. Now what are the opportunities that you're laying before me ahead? This may be your life and your relationship and your family, and God's called your task to raise children, to raise up arrows and aim them at the target that God would have them aim to invest in the next generation. It, whatever the expression of your career calling, the, the underlying point is that you're where God would have you to be, doing what God would have you to do, holding nothing back for His glory and enjoying the benefits of confidence that your life is right where God would have it to be today. With the expectation that you don't stay there. That you go deeper. That you go further. That you more and increasingly bring glory to God in your life as we go through the new year. You'll only do that as you keep your eyes upon God. Behold Him. Look to Him. Stay close to Him. Through opening His Word through communing with Him in prayer, through walking with other believers. Allow God to aim your life.